The current state of America has a lot of people on edge. We're living through a pandemic. Racial injustice is at an all-time high. And people just can't seem to sit down and have conversations with each other. Well, tonight, I do just that. I have my friend John Heffelbauer on the show, and we talk everything from the current state of politics to how he grew up to religion. If you've never heard one of my shows, this is a great one to start with. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Relatively Normal Podcast. I am your host, Mark Paisant. Thanks again for joining the show. And as always, you can become a sponsor of the show for going to anchor.fm, searching for Relatively Normal, and hitting that sponsor button. I'd appreciate it. You can sponsor for as little as 99 cents a month. I'd appreciate that. That would be great. And as always, shout out to our sponsor, TheEmpireRadio.com for all your old school R&B and hip hop hits. Go to TheEmpireRadio.com. That is T-H-A, EmpireRadio.com. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, a lot of us don't want to even sit down and have conversations. That is what society is missing. Listen, in the age of text messaging, of social media, of Facebook, of Instagram, of Twitter, a lot of times it's easier to do stuff online, anonymously if you can. Some people don't even care about being anonymous. But we have lost, at least I believe, I don't want to be too preachy. I don't want to be that old guy yelling at kids from my porch. But I think we've lost the art of conversation. On tonight's show, I have a young man that we work at the same company, John Heffelbauer. And the reason I wanted him on the show, he is a white male. And I have spoken to a black male, a black female, LGBTQ, an Asian American, about their current mental state in present day America. And not only did I think it was fair, but I thought it was fitting to hear from a white cis male about his current state, his current mental state in America. And I must say, to to say I was thoroughly impressed is an understatement. Because this conversation really just ran the gambit. We talked about a little bit about politics a little bit about religion, a little bit about allyship. He brought up words like frustration, phrases like white guilt, about the current state of America, the current state of religion. And I am humbled. I am, like I said, thoroughly impressed with this conversation. And it just makes me want to go out and have more conversations, not only with people who think like me, 
but people who don't. Now, I do want to preface all of this by saying, you know, we don't have to have conversations. We don't have to open the door for everyone. There is, there's a group of people, um, a lot of people actually, who believe that we just need to open the door and have conversations with everyone. Listen, I understand for your mental state, if someone is thoroughly and utterly racist, homophobic, they are discriminatory. There, I mean, there's a line you can draw in your in your sand. There is. Don't listen to me and say you have to go out and speak to everyone, because let's be honest. Can can we we be honest? Can I keep it 100 with everybody for a second? Sometimes it's best to cut all the toxic people out. I've done that in the past. And I'll be honest with you, it was a breath of fresh air to not allow toxic people into your life. It really is. But I have to say... The word vulnerable comes up in our conversation. The word empathy comes up in our conversation. And I think a lot of people will get something out of this conversation, regardless of race, creed, religion, gender, anything. I think a lot of people will get a lot out of this conversation that I have with John. He is just, he does a really good job of explaining his thoughts and explaining what he's doing to try to find his purpose in life. And yes, I asked him point blank about what he's doing to find his purpose in life. Because I know a lot of us struggle with that. A lot of us struggle with finding our purpose. A lot of us think we have to find a specific purpose in life. Some people think we have to find it before age 21, before age 30, before age 35. I'll tell you right now, recording this part of the show, today is my birthday. Today I turned 42 years old and I don't know if I found my purpose. I think this show has something to do with my purpose, but every day I'm working hard to try and find it and some days are better than others. In some months I have most days that are not that good and some months I have most days that are really good, but I'm trying to live my best life and trying to live my life with purpose. If not for myself, for others, for my wife and for my kids, for my family, for my friends, for the people I love and the people I enjoy being around. And John is someone that I would love to be around more. Unfortunately, because of location, we don't really see each other and we don't really talk that often, but I tell you what, I am so happy that I got to have this conversation with him and I'm so glad that you guys get to hear it because it really is good and I would love your feedback on it. You can definitely go to the show page on Anchor and and, and leave me a comment or you can even record a comment and send it to me. So, one thing I do want to mention before we go into the ad go into the break and we talk to John is that John and I recorded this conversation on the day the verdict came down on the Derek Chauvin trial 
on the killing of George Floyd. While a lot of people were happy about the results, probably the same amount of people weren't happy with the outcome of the trial. I want to mention this and I want to say this so everyone hears me. There's no background music right now. There's nothing to distract you. I just want to say this. Human lives were affected. Humanity was affected. Someone lost their life, and someone's going to jail because of it. I don't know how I could be happy because of this outcome. Because I, I go back and I think about what could have happened a year ago. The officer could have just arrested George Floyd. George Floyd could have gone to trial and a jury would have decided his fate, whether he went to jail for a little while or whether he was set free. But at the end of the day, both men would have had their lives and most likely both men would not have been in jail. This affects me and affects all of us. Because, yes, I want justice. But I swear to God, I wish we didn't have to get to this point. I wish one human could have seen the humanity in another human and not placed his knee with all of his weight on another human's neck. For over nine minutes, basically taking the life of another human being. That affects me. And I think it should affect all of us. So after the break, I'll have a conversation with John Heffelbauer. Thank you for joining the show. back on the Relatively Normal Podcast, and like I said before, I have a colleague of mine, Mr. John Heffelbauer, who will be talking to us today, and thanks again for joining me tonight. John, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and you know introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, a little bit about yourself, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, sure, Mark, and thanks again for letting me kind of join you here tonight and kind of talk about this. It's a, definitely an important conversation to start by having, but... A, l- a little bit of my background, so I grew up in a small rural farming community in southeastern Michigan. To give you a kind of gauge of size, the uh, the township that I live in, which actually is not really considered incorporated community, is about between three and 4,000 people. 
93 to 94% are happen to be white. And obviously there may happen to be some sort of diversity. My high school class uh, graduating was approximately 77 kids. In that class, there were maybe three to four um, different uh, diversity people. Um, that included a person of Muslim faith, as well as um, an Asian American, and then some, some black Americans as well. Uh, so for me, growing up, it was very much a rural, white, uh, I would say even conservative kind of a community. The school that I went to, high school from elementary through on up until high school, actually had agricultural in the name of the school. I personally grew up on a 1,200-acre crop farm. We farmed mostly uh, grain, including soybeans, corn, and red wheat. We didn't have any animals, but most of that was, uh, most of the time between the farming was spent doing land development. So we built ponds, we did some drainage ditches, helped pick up some grain and elevator work, a lot of manual labor. Uh, and then I ended up actually moving to Columbus for college. And why I was in Columbus is really when I was exposed to some of the diversity of the, what I would consider the big city. And in between the years of college, I spent my time working at camps as a camp counselor. The last year I spent as a program director for a camp that was focused on 1800s living. So no running water, no electricity. And uh, during that time, when I was at camp, again, uh, kids, campers, you know, adults, high schoolers, middle schoolers, um, but really didn't have an open conversation about diversity until I actually got to, to college. Uh, while I was in college, I was a training and development uh, major and studied religion as a minor, religious studies specifically. Really enjoyed liberation theology, um, South, South American Catholicism, as well as uh, LGBTQ theology, and the Native American theology were kind of my interest levels at that point. Also took some time and studied um, the language of the Bible as far as translating that for myself and um, ended up getting involved in sales and things along those lines. And that's when you and I kind of met Mark was was joining our, our career paths, um, kind of colliding in the, in the different uh, insurance worlds that we've been a part of. So a little bit about myself. Thank you for that, John. And I definitely want to touch on the religious aspect of that because I have um, some questions for you. But um, would you would it be safe to assume? And this is not for for any reason politically, but the place you grew up when that would would that be considered nowadays? Would that be considered Trump country right now? That is a really good question, Mark. The when I left, I moved away from. My hometown, hundred percent more Republican conservative. And we have to, you know, and I asked the question because I, you know, a Trump Republican. And again, this is not a political show, but there, there is a difference between a, uh, you know, a traditional conservative and a Trump Republican. At least it seems like that nowadays. If you, if you know what I mean. Exactly, and then that was kind of leading to the next point. Is as I've gone back, the the city of. Uh, Toledo is actually kind of expanded into that arena. So we get a lot more subdivisions are kind of becoming more of a thing. And so um, 
I think it's a mix between, the, to your point, the uh, the the more conservative Republicans, the more you know Trump Republicans, with the intermix of you know a libertarian or more of a a moderate political structure. Okay, I appreciate that. And um, you know, you and I discussed. We had a very good discussion the other day about some of the topics we're going to discuss tonight. But as it turns out, you and I are speaking on the night after the verdict in um, the Chauvin trial, uh, the, the formerly accused murder of George Floyd, now the convicted murder of George Floyd. Um, you know, as a white male, as a white American, um, can you kind of speak, what is your reaction to, um, you know, the video when you saw it, the, the, the proceeding trial and the conviction that we saw today? Hmm. To be honest, I mean, Mark, it, it, it's been a bit of a whirlwind of emotion for me. Um, I have some very close friends that are black Americans. And, and so it's, and even just some people that I know that also work in law enforcement. And that's, the video in and of itself, just a hard stop right there is um, distressing beyond words. Um, th- there's no words of sadness or guilt or emptiness or fear that I have watching that video. And as the trial progressed and it started, it's definitely been a bit of an anxiety-ridden roller coaster ride for myself, especially having a young, a young uh, daughter, and how to you know, how to explain those types of things to her in that fashion. Uh, obviously, I have not shown my child the trial or the video, um, and then to hear the con- the conviction and hear that you know the the judge's rendering of the of the verdict is. It, it seems very logical. It seems like it was very supported. It seems that it they really did the best they could to make it a a, a, a evidence-based logical trial. Uh, it definitely is racial. I mean, definitely no, no question about it. There, there's definitely that it needed to be looked at with a fine-tooth comb, and I feel like it, it was definitely done in that way and well well put together by, you know, by both sides of the spectrum. But I, th- I think that the, the, the verdict was, was fair. Yeah, and I, I understand... Um... I hadn't let my young daughters see the video either. We, I had them in the room watching the verdict because I kind of, you know, at their young age, maybe yeah. this is something they um, can remember when they're older. But, and I, I appreciate you you talking candidly about that. But, you know, what, what I definitely want to get your perspective on is we are living through some I want to say unusual times. It might might not be unusual. It might just be that everything's out in the open now. But um, I've talked to black people. I've talked to Asian people. I've talked to women about the current state of America, their current mental state in present day America. And I wanted to, to talk to a white male. Uh, I wanted to get your feedback, your response how you're coping with what you see going on in America with the racial injustice, with glass ceilings, with diversity, with police brutality. You mentioned you know some people in law enforcement. You know, it has to hit you also when you see some of the things in the media, when you have to try and explain this stuff to a child when you may have relatives or you may have good friends who are on opposite spectrums politically or socially than you are 
So, you know, what is your mental state right now? What is it like in your head? Well, Mark, I mean, that that's the biggest thing for me is, is fear. The fear and, and shame and guilt, um, as well as just trying to be vulnerable and coming and approaching things from a place of learning and wanting to understand and trying to be an ally the best that I can. Um, especially when the act, sometimes the actions that I take or would have taken or would take as a, to your point, as a white male may come across as being unauthentic or trying to, to minimize the things that I may or may not have done in the past, either aware or unaware that were racially or, or you know, being insensitive to the diversity that is around me. Um, and, and that really is where it kind of starts for me is, is the understanding that, you know, my love for people is, is true. And that includes holding people accountable to the actions that they, you know, that they did and holding in that, you know, regardless of whether they feel shame or remorse, you know, that's, I do think that people are doing the best that they can. Do I think that they, that people are unaware of their actions and how they impact other people? hundred percent. And I've learned in the course of my life that step one is, you know, you got to be vulnerable. You got to be open to feedback, be honest to what's going on in your head and really give people the benefit of the doubt. And the second you change that mindset from thinking you have, or from thinking you have it all to being self-righteous, that's when it hits the fan. That's when mistakes are made. That's when we dehumanize our neighbor and we create places and boxes for people that do not want those boxes to be built. And that's where the original, you know, the, in my opinion, the original sin comes into play. Um, it, it, so for me, when it comes to the best thing for coping for me is to remind my daughter that, that she is kind, that she is strong and that she is compassionate and she's called to love people in a different way. Um, and that's really where I think I get the most hope and explain to her that there's some people that, that are, that don't understand, that don't get it, that this doesn't make sense. And that is okay, but that doesn't change the actions that you need to be kind, you need to be accepting, you need to be welcoming. Um, there also needs to be things in place to where the qualified candidate gets the job regardless of their background, regardless of the color of their skin, you know, regardless of the, you know, their gender role, the, the job needs to be filled. These are the qualifications. Do I think there needs to be diversity in the workplace? A hundred percent. There needs to be diversity in the workplace. hundred percent. There's no question about that. I don't want anybody to feel like they're in that position because of the reason that they're just, they're just, they're, they're just the diversity hired. That's not fair to them. Their qualifications, they busted their butt. They put on the work and effort in. They deserve to be there. And they deserve to have a seat at the table every time, every time. And I'm, I must say, and you bring up a great point about the things you, you try to teach your daughter is because it's my wife says almost the exact same things to my two daughters every day before they go to school. And my daughters are multicultural. They're um, black and Egyptian, you know, Catholic faith and, and Muslim faith. And you're a white male. And it's, 
it's amazing that those words, you know, precede any race, any gender, any stereotype. You can still teach that. And I, I think we, we, we say it a lot, but we truly don't understand that that hatred is, is taught mm. from a young yeah. age. Um, no one comes out of the womb hating anybody. And as much, I'm going to tell you something that frightens me, and I kind of want your response to it. You and I are teaching our children how to be kind, accepting, loving, respectful. And I tell my daughters all the time, there's someone out there teaching their children the opposite. Mm. And regardless of what they're taught, that doesn't mean you have to change. But that kind of scares me because there's going to be times in their life where they're going to come across someone who is taught the exact opposite, taught to, taught to hate somebody because of the color of their skin. You know, knowing that, you know, how, how does that, like, how does that make you feel like to, and, and, and if you never thought about it before, I apologize for putting it in your head, but mm. I, I always, <laughs> the cynic in me, you know, the anxious side of me, the realist part of me always says, okay, I'm teaching my girls this, but someone is teaching them the opposite. Yeah, Mark. I mean, that, that is the nail on the head. And I think why it's um, important for us to, as far as, as dads, as, you know, as a fellow parent, you know, to teach our kids to be strong and brave as well. Uh, and I'm reminded of a quote by Maya Angelou, you know, uh, don't, hold me to the exact wording of this but um i belong to myself i belong to nowhere every place at once um and that as as daughters as fathers of daughters like it's hard to to give them the confidence without making them a target um that's true that is very true and that's the biggest thing is is how do we make these confident intelligent beautiful compassionate women to be tough as nails and i think that a it's a a, i mean it's a i mean black diamond mountains vertical hill climb straight sheer rock face we have to figure out how to navigate and thankfully there's enough holes and grips that we can make that you know we can start the process down that track but it really comes down to the, you know the strength of our our, our children's character um so I, i'm definitely afraid of it that's just what i'm like I'm, I'm scared to death of it and uh i'm just trying to help my child know that you know do the best you can you know everybody's going through their own thing yeah and, w- and we'll be here to support you every step of the way so exactly um and again i'm talking to my friend john here he um just to put it in perspective, I'm a, I'm a black male having a, a worldly conversation about um, with a white man about the state of the world, state of America. And you had mentioned the word ally a little while ago. What does that word mean to you? And what do you do to be a better ally each day? And, and Mark, this is a really important question. And if I may, I want to kind of sidetrack for a second. Sure, I'll no problem. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, so... A bit of an example for me, just more so talking about LGBTQ for a little bit. Um, when I when I actually went to Capitol, I was very homophobic, and 
very confused about what that meant and very afraid about what that meant. And thankfully, I had the opportunity to meet somebody in the religion program at Capitol that was an open LGBTQ man and who was hoping to join the ministry. And he, at one point in time in college, he brought, he came over to my room as I was walking back to the room with a, a bottle of wine and two glasses and, you know, said, hey man, you want a drink? And, and I sat down with him. We didn't drink, but I sat down with him and I talked about, we talked about what the issues were and what my issues were, more I was uncomfortable. And in that moment, I learned that where most people get uncomfortable or lose sight of things when it comes to being an ally is what people do in the privacy of their own home or what people do in their own spare time or free time. So for me, number one, ally means that you're accepting your own vulnerability and accepting your own lack of understanding and knowledge. That's step one. Step two is, is being vulnerable enough or being honest enough with yourself. Hey, I don't know a lot about this. You know, Mark, we, when we talked a couple uh, last week, the, the, the conversation was about, I don't know how to do certain things. And so, okay, I go to somebody that does from a place of learning, a place of understanding. So step one, own your fear. Step two, find someone that you can talk to about it that will be respectful to you and open the conversation. And step three, find someone that won't judge you for it. And then the fourth step, which is the hardest part, is acting on it. And for me, being an ally is number one, you know, I got friends. I've been have the blessing of being able, to, you know, ten years later, uh, eleven years later, I've had the blessing to be part of a, a gay wedding. Um, my my daughter's got two great uncles that are are homosexual, um, and a really close friend that happens to be um, diverse. You know, her her mother's Asian and her father's white, and I, I don't, I'm do everything that I can to expose my child to as much diversity as possible because when I was a kid that I, I, be, I was uneducated and, and I didn't know what I was doing or know how it was affecting people um, and I'll be danged if I let you know let that happen to the next generation so again being an ally is, is acting on your own fear approaching things from a sense of vulnerability and trying to learn another person and I know you didn't um, say all of that for me to commend you on it, but I have to say I am thoroughly impressed by um, you doing what you did because that kind of seg segues me into the next part, which I really, I really want your opinion on this. And, and you'd have to be living under a rock for the last decade or two to know that the number of churchgoers, the number of people who say they're involved in a specific church or religion is decreasing in America. And the reasons is because of exclusivity. Um, it's reasons that people don't feel safe in their own church. They don't feel that it's inclusive enough. When you speak of religion and when you speak of diversity, um, 
one, I want to know if how you feel about those numbers decreasing, and two, what what would you like to do or like to say to get more people to come? Does it is it that the the people have to do something or the churches have to do something? Hmm. Mark, that is a very complicated question. <laughs> that that's why I'm asking you, and I'm not answering. Yeah. Sure, I get you. Um, so, for me, I, again, just point blank, I'm I'm a, I'm a Lutheran denomination believer, member of a church. Um, it wasn't always that way for me, but uh, I think step one needs to be. It comes from both perspectives. Number one, there needs to be acknowledgement that the church hurt me. And that doesn't mean that I, I can't forgive them. Now, there's, I do think that there's a, a time where you need to, that either you can reconcile or you can't reconcile. So I think that's always step one is that, you, you know, for example, if, if you're hurt by your home church, I don't suggest going back to that home church and saying, hey, you guys hurt me. It's kind of really hurt, pissed me off. You know, can, can I, you know, can you forgive me? Or can you change what you're going to say? Because then that's not going to happen. Um, but I do think that the church needs to be better or even more agile in how they are adapting to the society that is growing rapidly around them to the point where during COVID, we went from having, or shoot, two years ago, we most of the services for any church or religious faith were done in person in large numbers and this idea of doing church online or church via video stream was not even heard of to now you have i don't know the exact number so don't hold me to this we'll make it up and say it's 80 percent of churches that are doing almost every service both in person and remote via video or a Zoom call. Um, I had the blessing to actually attend two different churches um, at the same time. So the church that I go to happens to be what they call a RIC congregation. What that means for uh, is called Reconciling in Christ. And one of the seminaries here in Columbus is the same, RIC Reconciling in Christ. So what that means is they are a active seminary and active churches that are openly welcomed to have LGBTQ members, leaders, and pastors in both a seminary setting and a congregation setting. For me, that is the kind of church that I want to attend. That's the kind of church that understands diversity, both more so in gender, I think in the, in the church uh, gender is more of a or sexual identity ends up being more of the the focus than it is skin color or race um, the church that I tend to both of them happen to be RIC congregations one happens to be more diverse in other areas and to be honest it, it's it's the whole reason why I do both so I think to your point Mark there needs to be a person needs to recognize that hey the church hurt me and if, and if you genuinely feel that faith or that calling to go back to church, take the chance and find a church that's out there for you that fits your specific belief structure and go. I'm not saying you need to go every week. 
because I, I don't do that myself and I consider myself to be a pretty good believer. At the same point in time, the church also, the institution of the church needs to be welcoming and adaptive to the modern churchgoer. And I think that's a big miss, especially when we have most of our up and coming generation are a specific social media type of a person. They're, unfortunately, they're not as uh, well read and well versed as you and I are to be able to know that sometimes you got to have a social connection as well as a, a technological connection. I think that's really a big part of it, too. Right. I, I And I, I think you, you nailed it, but um, I, I do have to, you know, let you know that a lot of people who consider themselves consider themselves believers, staunch believers, will hear everything you just said and say, no, that's not that's not the faith. That's not the way, um, you know, we, we shouldn't let LGBTQ into church. They're going to hell. Like, is there is there I mean, I know I, my answer to this question is, yes, there's always room for a conversation. There always is, but there's people who don't even want to listen to the things you so just so eloquently said, and it's it's turning a lot of people off. And so, and yep. and kind of to reframe what you were saying, it's that throughout history we've seen companies, societies, organizations that if they don't adapt, they die. Easy as that. Yeah, exactly. And I have a feeling we're seeing that with some of the more um, staunch, religious, you know, traditional um, church, orthodox churches that, um, you know, there needs to be a, like change isn't a bad thing. Like change isn't, isn't a horrible thing, you know, and I, I hear what you're saying, but some people just don't want don't want to listen to the words you just said. I mean, how do you, how do you respond? Yeah. Like, how does that make you feel when you're you're here trying to get more people to see the way, more people to understand? We want to include you in services. We want to include you in our faith. And there's a lot of people out there who says, "No, we don't." Yeah, and and Mark, that in and of itself, I think, is part of the reason for me why people are leaving the church in droves, and that is not a part. That is not a faith that I want to be a part of. That is not a, a denomination that I want to be a part of. That is not something that I want to tie my wagon to. I have very close friends, very close family that believe that. And like I mentioned earlier about, you know, approaching people from vulnerability, understanding, like it's extremely lonesome what I just said, because there's not a lot of people that agree with me. However, at the same point in time, if I, if I can host 11 people and they're all very different social, economic, racial, gender backgrounds, and they're all drinking, eating, you know, merry going, like it ends up being a welcomed party. For me, that is where faith and God collide. And so it is completely, I, I've spent a lot of my time in college and even post-college, when I, when I, you know, got out of college and, and whatnot, trying to find out who I was and define my belief structure. And I have spent too long trying to hide or to not, you know, speak up for what I believe in. And the first thing I believe in is that we all are loved by God. 
we all have goodness in us and positivity exudes from us. Um, there's a word for it in Greek called exousia. It's a combination of two different words meaning from within and then um, within you. Uh, essentially an energy or a force pumped. Um, most often it's translated in, in the Bible as power or authority. So, you know, God had authority over, he just had authority over you know, the waves is the most often the word you see that you use, exousia. So, yeah, if we are Christians, our job is to spread the love of Christ from within us. And if love is the, the first and greatest commandment, and we can't adequately show somebody love in a way that they feel welcomed or approached, that's not my faith. That's not my Christianity. Um, and, and and I have, I, I don't have time for that. I, that's not who I want to be a part of. At the same point in time, I want to respect that that individual and say, yeah, you have a right to your belief structure. You have a right to, to believe what you believe, and I'm happy to disagree with you. And I will continue to work to understand your point of view. But that does not mean that I'm going to change my perspective or my point of view to push people away. I learn more from community than I do from isolation. I will continue to try to understand your point of view. In other words, you show empathy. That's what you show. And I can't, for as long as I've been doing this show, that has been my number one point is to try to get people to understand empathy and to be more empathetic. Um, Mark, I, <laughs> Mark, it's not a switch, man. It's not a switch. Yeah. It really isn't. It, it, I, I, I know it's not a switch. I know, and I've mentioned this before in the show that I am, I am overly empathetic. That's just my stripes. If I'm a tiger, yeah. that's my stripes. That's who I am. I can't change, you know, how I feel. And for as long as I can remember, I'm trying to understand those who aren't as empathetic and work um, to help them. Um, I don't want to say become better people, just understand how other people's feelings need need to be under, or they try to need to be understood sometimes, see both sides of it. Um, but what I'm hearing from you, and you know, before I let you go, and I appreciate this conversation, I kind of wanted to, uh, we didn't talk about this, but what I'm hearing a lot is you, if you haven't found it yet, you're, you're still searching, but you're, you're looking for your purpose. Every day you're kind of getting closer and closer to your purpose if you haven't found it already, which you may have. But, and I just had a buddy ask me about this, about finding purpose in, in his life, finding purpose in life. Um, you know, what, what do you do, you know, daily, weekly, yearly to, to find purpose in who you are, what you do in your life? Like, what are, what are some things that you do to find that purpose every day? First of all, Mark, uh, um, I, thanks for having me on. And these questions are are heavy hitters. Keeps um, me on my toes for sure. Um, so, for, for me, I, I spent a good amount of time in a recent relationship, and it, it, it ended pretty abruptly, um, to the point where I, I kind of got knocked down pretty hard. Um, and it, I was forced to take 
some time to step back and think about myself and create some mental health habits that um, that have really helped me understand. And, I, and you're 100% right. I, I don't think I've found my purpose yet in this world, but I think the, the first thing, top of that list, is to recognize that I'm not perfect. Take my self-righteousness and chuck it out the window and punt it and burn it in an effigy and never have it come back. Um, the second thing that I do that's really helpful for me is I listen to audiobooks as many and as often as possible about happiness and positive psychology. Uh, a couple of my favorite authors, just to kind of throw some names out there, not to name drop. Um, Brene Brown has been a really good one of mine. Adam Grant, Malcolm Gladwell, uh, Douglas Murray, he, uh, even Jordan, uh, Jordan Peterson, I think Jordan B. Peterson. Um, and I read things that both agree with my train of thought and disagree with my train of thought. As hard as it is for me to do, I have to be, as us talking right now, I'm being empathetic. I have to understand and try to approach things from other people's perspectives. For me, the, 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 the biggest thing that helped me in my recent transition into being a more, living a more purposeful life um, has been listening to Brene Brown's Rising Strong 2015 and uh, 2017 Braving the Wilderness. Uh, her two audio, her two books, preferably an audiobook, has been really helpful for me in my understanding and my approach to this. And I have not, I'm not perfected at this at all. Um, but I think it also helps to journal. It helps to, if I'm getting anxious, if I'm getting upset, or uh, before you and I had a conversation tonight, I spent some time in kind of chewing over and thinking about some of the questions that you had sent me previously before we kind of preparing for the uh, conversation today. And it helped me kind of organize my thoughts because we live such busy lives. Such intentionally busy things happen every day. We get, we're overly productive. We're kids going, spouses going, relationships going, family, household. We lose track of ourselves. And if you can take the time to listen to your audiobooks, to listen to something that brings you life, that brings you to life, and empty the, the trash can of your thoughts into a page, or be that meditation, be that whatever you need to do to get your thoughts to be aware of them, will help you live a more purposeful life and help you find your purpose. Amen. Amen to that, man. You, wow. I, for, for someone not knowing they were getting that question, you just, that was great. And, um, you and I talked about Brene Brown and I, I love her too. Um, and even if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm not gonna, I, I don't have the time for audiobooks, or just go to watch one for Ted talks, you know, go to oh, YouTube yeah. and just, just spend 10 minutes a day, you know, really centering yourself um to find that purpose so john thank you so much for being a part of this show this was very enlightening we talked about you know racial injustice we talked about religion we talked about society we talked about i mean a whole spectrum of things so i i appreciate you rolling with the punches um 
I look forward to having you back on. To be honest with you, I really, I think we can, con- <laughs> I think we can continue this for um, sure. quite a long time. So, thank you very much, John. I appreciate it. And until next time, you have a great night. Hey, Mark, you too. Thanks again for the time. Be blessed. huge thank you to our guest this week, Mr. John Heffelbauer. He really offered us a lot of gems tonight and just spoke the truth about a lot of things, and I appreciate him for being on this show. Relatively Normal is written, produced, and edited by me, Mark Paisant. And as always, if you or someone you know is in crisis, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. Thank you.